Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Anger of Beaumont podcast, where we love God and we love people. I'm so excited to bring this message to you today, but before we get started, I want to say two things. First, I hope you all are doing well during this difficult time. And second, please rate this podcast and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening from. It really means a lot for us. The reason why we ask is because it lets the podcast become ranked and exposes more people to it so we can bring the message to them. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get into it. Enjoy the message. What I would like to do, I felt, I felt impressed last couple of days to, to go through my phone to look at the different prophetic words that God has given me. For the last, it was in August 2000. And 18 that I preached a message and I'm going to re-preach some of that message today today I feel led the Holy Ghost to do this and um, but before I do that I am going to to share some of the things that's been shared when I preached that message the first time it was on a Wednesday night and there was a if you're here been with us for any length of time, you know that I felt a, uh, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but a spiritual demonstration took place that night, and and uh, just so I don't get too weird, too weird, um, I, I felt like we were wrestling with a, uh, it revealed itself to me, a, a um, self-righteous spirit, and it said, I will destroy you in this thing you called called the church and it was right after that that um, I received a word on August the 29th that says stay humble before me my son Some, someone sent me this text and I will make of thee a great nation and I will send you a sea of souls prove me this night and see if I will not open the windows of my blessings upon your life stay humble before me and I will hear your cry and I will answer you and I will pour on your, your life, and I will open doors for you that others have sought me. My son, stay humble before me, and I will abide in you. It was just a few days later that vision was given to someone in this church that said there are hundreds of vessels of all different sizes and shapes, many valuable and unique vessels. Some are small and common, but some are gray and stone. All were being filled from a huge fountain in the middle of the front of the church. And I knew God was speaking and filling many with wisdom and understanding that only his word can bring. I received a message during that time from someone who, during this time period, who, who said, Pastor Green, I had a dream and I saw literally what we call a linked lunch, a linked lunch. And linked lunch had to be done in the sanctuary. And literally people were sitting on the balcony. It was just people ev- everywhere during this time. It was during this time that I received a man from Africa, from Africa, was in doing business in Houston. You know that you guys know the story. And he, God told him to turn here and there and here and there and left and right. And he ends up in our congregation. He says, I have a word for you to give to that, to that, to that man of God. And man, he gave me a, a powerful word about this house being, being full, the overflowing people, hurting people. And, and it was just this word after word after word. And I've had people say, well, Brother Green, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you're on the right path? Are, are, are you sure? And I'm telling you the reason why. I'm giving you the reason why I am sure that I'm doing what I'm doing in the Word of God, not violating the Word of God, but walking through the Word of God. I know why. I absolutely, because of a word from, a mandate from God time and time and time again. Received this text in the beginning of 2019 that said, uh, I felt the Lord begin to open some things up, and it says this, do not try to understand the rejection. This is January 2019. Do not try to understand the rejection or lack of understanding you feel or see from people that you have known for many years. You are a thinking changer, a generation changer, a mind changer, changer even a world changer. And world changers stand alone, and many times are very misunderstood. But you will leave a legacy that will live on far past your own years on this earth. 
Some will never understand you, even those near to you. Even the close to Jesus did not understand him or believe him. You will stand alone many times in your lifetime, but stand as the disciples did alone. But the Lord is standing with you, pressed to bring the, the purest understanding and the clearest explanation of the Lord and his word to people. And that's exactly what I have tried, endeavored to do for the last two years. Do not be troubled or dismayed at the response from those that have walked this way for many years. Just stand in the revelations that the Lord has given you, and many hungry souls will come. I've again seen a vision of you on the platform and both galleries filled with people hungry for the pure, rich presence of God. Stay tender and sensitive before the Lord and continue to speak the goodness of God. And it goes on. It's beautiful, beautiful. It was a, another word that I received. I just wanted to share these here. It was in May of 2019. Let's see this. Make sure this is one. So it says, I woke up early this morning, felt the heaviness in my spirit. I prayed but pressed on, not really understanding what the Lord was saying. Then I arrived at the church, and while in the foyer I heard you laugh, and when I looked towards your voice, I again felt the Lord lay a burden on me. I merely went up to the top of the steps of the church and began to pray for you. I knew then I was to pray for you for the message and the place you were in. You are being pressed. Oh, but only the pressing brings God's presence into our lives and our ministries. Take a deep breath and rejoice for the Lord is working some things out as only he can. Then on, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, might have been a Wednesday night, a man, uh, might have been a Sunday morning, a man attended, and he wanted to talk to me. And um, before he talked to me, he, he went to someone in the foyer, and he asked for a pen and paper, and he wrote this message down. Then he came in, and he, and he, and he brought it to me. And I want to share that with you today. He said, the Lord placed on his heart to write some words down during the worship service, and he received a pen and paper from the crew staff. Words that he shared with me were this. He says, there's a shift taking place and that God is calling us to it. He said that there may be some who have been or may be uncomfortable, but that the Lord says not to fear, for that it comes with growth. The shift encompasses ideologies and theologies, but to focus on God's character and his love, and people will come to you. There will be a substantial growth both numerically and spiritually. And then he said to me personally, he said, God says you're a man of good character. You're hearing his voice. He's calling you to a new place. Don't be afraid. It's from here, it's from there, it's from here. It's dream, somebody's saying dream. I mean, Pastor Records, just this last two weeks ago, three weeks ago, laid down for a nap and, and God turned around and God gave him a dream of this building being filled. And, and it's word after word after after word. Word after word after word. received this just June 7th. Jonathan, I felt every word you spoke today, and here's what I feel. You will lose some people, but stand firm and wait. God will replace them with some that have a heart to win the lost. I continue to feel today to encourage you to stand and to have joy. Don't let people steal your joy. True joy comes from the Lord, and I want to remind you of a vision I had while praying in the sanctuary. I was standing at the top above, above, above where I sat, and I had been praying, and when I got up, there was a vessel beside me, and the Lord instructed me to begin to pour it out. So I stood at the top corner, and as I began to tip the vessel over gently, the Lord spoke and said, pour it all out over my people, and all poured out and touched every person. The Lord knows what he is doing, and it is going as planned. Be strong in the Lord. And then two Sundays ago, I received something else. I've received, received several two Sundays ago from just different people. One person was in here when they sent me this text. He said, praying for you. I want to share a word with you that the Lord gave me early hours Tuesday morning. They sent this on June 14th, 946. Tune your ears to what I'm saying. I'm calling, crying out for people to worship me, a people bathed in my love, robed in my righteousness, my nature. People who humble themselves before me, not worried about anything else but me, my desires, my heartbeat. Fulfilling the mission I have called them to do. The task ahead is great, but I am with you. I am leading you. I am the one fighting, not you. Stand, stand on my word, stand strong and bold. Fight on your knees in the secret place. I am your God and shield, and I am with you. Never doubt me. 
my goodness, my heart, I have you, I love you. Don't fear what man can do or say. Your focus must be on what I am doing and saying, what I am imparting to you. I have you in my nail-scarred hands, and you will be victorious. You must remember the battle is not mine, is mine, not yours. When men speak evil of you, of you, they aren't speaking it of you, but they are speaking it of me. I am dealing with the spirit of religion that is deceiving my people. I am using you to lead my people. Uh, some will hear my words spoken through you, and others will rise up and speak against you. But rem remember, they aren't speaking it against you, but me. I am reaching for my people, but not all will follow. Stay close. You must not worry about what others will say. Some are so blinded by religion, a lack of relationship, that their hearts become so hardened, and their ears deaf to my words. I will keep reaching for them because of my great love for them. My heart yearns for them to return from idolatry to me. Weep over them. Weep over them. For those that want to know what I'm doing, why I do what I do, that's the reason why. I knelt down right over there one, one Sunday morning in worship. Sister Holst came to me, and she said, she was praying with me, and she said, I, I see, I'm going to tell you what I see. She said, I see you leading. I see you leading this, this people behind you. She said, and you're on a well-worn path. And she said, there's a couple hundred people behind you. She said, but then I see you literally blazing a trail where no one's walked before. She said, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people behind you. She said, and both paths are going to the same place. They're going to the same place. And then she said, oh, never forget, oh, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. She said, the people behind you on the second, on, on the first path, just a couple hundred people, they, they look Pentecostal. She said, but the people on the path behind you, the thousands and thousands and thousands, they don't look like the rest of us. I've got to the place now where you know my heart, you know my love. As a shepherd, I've been doing my best to lead, to lead. I've discovered it's true, you can lead a horse to wa water, but you can't make it drink. I have discovered, I have discovered that. And as my heart, my shepherd, you, you know my heart. To question my motives, you're welcome to, but my heart is pure. It's as pure as it could possibly be. It's as pure as it possibly can be. I want to give you many reasons why non-apostolic churches, and I use an apostolic term, it's not even a term in the Bible, but why non-spirit-filled churches, how's that sound? don't grow. I've seen the list. I've done the research studies. The studies are out there. Many of the factors bear direct relationship even with, with our churches. They're simple. Visionless churches don't grow. Churches that have merry-go-round pastors don't grow. Churches um, um, where there is uh, no dying, personal dying, where there's no sacrificing of yourself, um, they're, they're not growing churches. Churches that are us for no more mentality, they don't grow. Churches that are locked in yesterday's hurts, yesterday's battles, yesterday's mindsets, yesterday's harvest and revival, those, those churches, they don't grow. Churches whose pH level plummets to the nearly acidic levels, whose love for God and love for people can't be found, even with a microscope, those churches don't grow. Unhealthy, toxic churches don't grow. Um, notice that it's not the, the economic climate that limits a church's growth. It's not what's going on in our nation, in our world, that determines our church's growth rate. It's what is going on inside the hearts and minds of people of that congregation. That's what affects the growth of the church. These, and there's many other reasons, they lend themselves to reasons why churches don't grow. And then yet there is a particular reason why, I'm going to say Pentecostal churches don't grow, and that is foreign to other denominations, and the reasons why they don't grow is because they prefer goosebumps over relationship with Jesus Christ. They prefer goosebumps over the relationship with Jesus Christ. They like preaching to dry bones 
and watching the Spirit work. They like that. But then they don't want to take the time to train the army and equip and organize that army of dry bones that God has raised up into effective units. They want thrills, but not drills. They don't want to be challenged. Don't challenge me when it comes to my, my education of the Bible. Don't challenge me in my beliefs. Just let me think what I want to think about the Scriptures. Let me think what I was taught about the Scriptures. And don't challenge me to take a fresh look at the Word of God. You see, we would rather see people dance than to see them skillfully use the Word of God. We would rather see people dance and shout than to see them skillfully use the Word of God. We would rather enthuse people than to infuse them with the life-changing, transforming power of God. That's the honest to God truth. We care more about hearing someone say, Pastor, that was a masterpiece, than hearing the soft applause from the master's nail-scarred hands. We would rather see people shout and rejoice than see them making war on their knees on the floor. Yeah. We would rather, we'd rather comfort the afflicted than to afflict the comfortable. Pastor, don't, don't afflict me. Don't provoke me to do good works. You see, you see, we don't like to be provoked because provoking upsets us. It, it, it goes, it rubs us the wrong way. So when the word of God or the pastor provokes you to do good works like the apostle Paul says, then we just don't like that. Don't provoke me, pastor. Don't challenge my way of thinking. Don't, 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 don't do that, pastor. We would rather be called preaching, uh, call someone a preaching machine than an equipping machine. And hear me, everything in God's world grows. And the one thing that should be growing is the church. The church should be growing. It should be growing. It should be growing. It should be growing. And we don't, we don't, we don't want to be provoked. Don't, don't stir us up. Don't, don't, don't rub me the wrong way. Just leave me alone and let me coast and think everything's okay. And you hear me. You hear the pureness of my heart. You hear me when I tell you that as God is my witness for the last two and a half, three years, I have been, I have been dealing and digging and preaching what God has been giving me. He's dealing and digging uh, uh, me. And yes, there are some things that I say, that's not how I read that. What, how did I miss this? And, and I begin to get in the word of God. I say, oh my goodness, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Wow. Let me, God, help me to apply this. God, thank you for this. When it would be so easy to say, Let's just not even go there. Let's just let them do what, they, what they're going to do. Nature grows. Genesis 1.11, living things grow. That is the law of the natural world. Living things grow. If you're not growing, you are dead. If you're not growing spiritually, you are dead. You are backslid. That's the bottom line. You're dead. If you're not growing spiritually, you are dead. Since, since God said, let the earth bring forth, nature has grown, uh, has multiplied and grown. And so confident was God in nature's ability to grow and to reproduce that only a pair, a pair of each species made their way to Noah's ark. To paraphrase the apostle Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, doth not nature itself teach us? That growth is natural. Growth is expected. Growth is normative. You hear me. Nature grows. Not only does nature grow, but saints grow. Saints grow. Psalms 92 verse 12. It, it, it is interesting here that the righteous are compared with evergreens in Scripture. Always green, always growing. It says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. As the myrtle and as the olive tree. Hear me. Children of God can, be, can expect to be fruitful. You can expect to be fruitful. You should be bearing fruit. That should be an expectation in your life. You should be expecting to bring forth fruit. But watch this. Jesus cursed the fig tree that boasted no fruit. 
Simon Peter said that a godly believer can expect to neither, 2 Peter 1 verse 8, he says they can expect to, to, be, to be neither barren nor unfruitful. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, barren and unfruitful should not be part of you. So saints grow. Churches grow. Acts 2, 47, Acts 16, 5. The Lord adds to the church daily. It, it's another place. It says, uh, uh, the, the, uh, it's Acts 16, 5 where it says, the number was added daily. The church is the body of Christ. It is normal for bodies to grow. My body has grown. Your body grows. And the body of Christ, churches should be growing. You look in the Bible, the kingdom of God, it grows. Matthew 13, the entire chapter, the Lord likened his kingdom to a seed, to a single, single grain of mustard seed and to leaven. And each is small at first, the seed and the leaven first, but each one grows. And now we understand that there is both quantitative and qualitative growth, numerical growth and spiritual growth. The church should be growing by numbers and it should be growing spiritually as well. We understand as well that there are seasons in the church. There are seasons of sowing and there are seasons of reaping. There are times of, of weeding and there's times of watering. It's part of it. And yet we have the faith and the confidence of the husbandman. That the Lord of the harvest will give increase. Some plant, some water. But God gives the increase. And then we also recognize that sometimes the church is doing its best when it is growing smaller. And I don't like this part. But that we go through seasons of what we call blessed subtractions. Sometimes it's when a cantankerous cuss or a bad spirit leaves a church. Or it could be when someone, when God literally picks up somebody and moves them. He led them somewhere else to serve in another capacity of ministry. We invest people in the harvest and they, they leave here. We put them in the harvest into another area. That's, that's part of it. And we also recognize that there are some churches that need to die. Well, why would you say that? It's because they are so poisoned with hate. And prejudice, and lust, and sexual sins, and pride, and insensitivity, indifference, and lukewarmness, greed, and covetousness, carnality, and carelessness, that they deserve to die, lest the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ be drugged through their mud. Amen. Read the book of Revelation, chapter number 2. The church in Ephesus were good haters but not good lovers. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, King James Version, because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Jesus said, that's Jesus' words. It's read in your Bibles if you have a King James Version red letter edition. Jesus said that he would come quickly to remove their candlestick. Put it this way, he would rather have a city in darkness than have a loveless church in the middle of a dark city. He would rather have a city in darkness than have a loveless church in the middle of that city. The church should grow. But there seems to be this jihadist mentality that can destroy the growth that God can give. And generally, generally the battle cry is this. And I said a while ago, we want good Goosebumps, Pastor we want to have good church. Boy, did we have good church today. Man, we had good church. Boy, that was high church. I can't wait to come back and have good church. We prefer good church to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the problems that I have with local churches, and I'm a pastor, so I feel like I'm qualified to say this. Matter of fact, I've been, I'm about to hit 10 years of pastoring. And, and thank you for that. 
I didn't even want to pastor. And the reason why I didn't want to pastor is for seasons that I'm in right now. But I'm a pastor, so I feel like I can say this. I feel like most churches are pretty much designed for church people. And I said this two and a half years ago. And then I've said it a jillion different ways over the course of the last two and a half years. Have you noticed that? Churches are designed for church people. We know we can find where Ephesians, we know all the songs, we know where to park, we know how to get in, we know how to go out because we're church people. The church is pretty much designed for church people. The problem is every once in a while we want to invite somebody to church who is not a church person, but we become just a little uncomfortable with inviting the church. The reason why we feel a little bit uncomfortable is because oftentimes churches are designed for church people. When we have this sense of, of dread wash over us at times that, that, that they're not going to have a clue what's going on because they are not a church person. You may think that you attend an incredible church, but if you are afraid to bring your unchurched friends, then your church was designed for church people. And the gravitational pull of every local church, even of this church, if we're not careful, is to make the church towards for the insiders. And over time, every church, if we're not careful, every church becomes a, a, a church for who? A church for the church people. The problem with that is, 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 is what it communicates to, to, to church people, what it communicates to everyone else in the world is that if the church is for church people, then that means that Christianity must be for church people. Or perhaps Jesus Christ came for church people. And so then we hear the statement, well, I would go there, but I'm not good enough. Or I've got to get my life right first, Pastor. When I get my life right first, then I'll come to church. And how many times do we say, well, you don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. But we don't really believe that. Yeah. Not, not one single person here believes that Jesus Christ came just for church people. Yet if we're not careful, we don't really believe that in our mind, but if we're not careful, we end up creating environments that are so incredibly insider-oriented that they never even ever, ever bother us. And then when the environment begins to change from what we like, now I've got an issue. Now I feel like God's taking me somewhere else. Forget what the Word of God says. What's crazy, over the last four weeks, I have had people, last four weeks, who said, Pastor Reed, I don't want to sit down. I said, let's have a Bible study. And they said, Pastor, Pastor Reed, I don't want to sit down and have a Bible study with you on that. Someone said, I said, well, why not? I mean, let's just open the Word of God and talk about it. And they said, well, you'll win, and, and I, I, I don't want to do that. And I said, this, wait, this is not a debate. This is a Bible study. I talk to people often who are just fine with just believing in God, that they don't want to have anything to do with the church. And then I talk with people like you do who have a lot of respect for the Bible. But when it comes to actually getting involved in the local church, it's like, but Pastor, I'm just not a church person. I don't do church. And again, as you begin to ask the questions, you discover it's because the churches that they have been involved in or been involved with in the past the churches they've even went to visit were designed for church people. And if we know intuitively, which most of us do, that Jesus Christ didn't come for church people, and if Christ didn't come for the insiders, did Christ really come for what we believe, John 3.16? For God so loved the world... And yet it doesn't say that God so loved the church people. Well, I'm part of the world. Well, you are in that verse, but you're not part of the world when it says love not. In 1 John. For God so loved the good people, 
for God so loved the people that could find Ephesians or the people who knew all the words of the songs or the, no, who knew how to get to lunch before everybody else. And For some reason, if we are not careful, the gravitational pull of the local church is toward insiders, is towards church people. Now, here's the good news. We're not the first generation to deal with this. In fact, one of the most fascinating stories in your Bible that a lot of times we don't want to come talk about is Acts 15. The church hasn't even gotten off the wrapping paper off of it. I mean, it's a brand new, that this church is brand new. And Jesus has, hasn't been gone very long. And, and there is a problem in the local church. And they have to have a church meeting. And the very first church business meeting is over the issue, who is the church for? That's who, who it's about. Is it for church? Is, is the church for church people? Or in their terms, is the church for insiders or is the church for outsiders? I mean, the people involved are, are the people who spent time with Jesus. And, and in this meeting, you hear from Peter, you hear from James, and you even hear from the Apostle Paul himself. And these are the guys that were there right with the birth of the church. And, and before long, they are arguing over the very same issue and they have run into the same tension that all of us struggle with in the local church. And that is, who is this church for? In Acts 15 verse 1, I think in NIV, maybe NLT, I'm not sure what I gave you. It says, now listen to this. Some men came down to, from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Acts 15 verse 1. They're teaching the brothers. And the brothers are the Christians, the, 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 church, the church people. They're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, watch this, you cannot be saved. They are preaching that you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. Well, that's crazy is what we say. This group was saying to people who were considering faith in Jesus Christ, unless you're circumcised, you can't be one of us. You can't be a church person. You can't experience salvation. And I know what the requirements in this church are for membership. It's faithful to, to, to in attendance, faithful in stewardship, faithful in conversation, and, and there's one more, faithful in the gospel. Those, those four things. And, and, and I know what the requirements are for this church. And, and I know that they don't involve a surgery of any type. Thank God. They were saying, you can't have a relationship with God unless you were circumcised, which meant the new members class was primarily women and small children. The men sit out in the car. Honey, I don't know, I just don't feel like I'm led to be a Christian right now. I mean, I just... It's absurd, right? We're chuckling about it, right? But imagine this. This is the very first church division. It's over who is the church for. And again, Jesus hasn't been gone long at all. And all of a sudden, this gravitational pull of the church is it's for us. It's for those who know the answers to the questions. In this case, it's for the Jewish people. It's for the people who know the law of Moses. It's, it's, it's for the people to know when to sit down and when to stand up. And the only way you're going to be a part of this club is if you become just like us. And then verse number 2 of Acts 15 says, this brought Paul and Barnabas. Now, now Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around primarily Greek places, and they've been over in the regions of Galatia, and, and, and they're planting churches to these Greek Gentile places. And, and so this dispute brought Paul and Barnabas uh, into a sharp dispute with the debate. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 2, Acts 15, verse 2, let's, let's, let's look there. Yeah, there we go. Debut, debate with, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, every organization has a they. Or every local church has a they. And the they in the first century church was the apostles. They're going to see the apostles. Uh, uh, these were the men who had been with Jesus. Uh, they didn't have to ask what would Jesus do. They didn't have a bracelet that said what would Jesus do. They knew what Jesus would do. Right? So, so they knew the question. What, they answered the question, what would Jesus do? And so there's a, there's a, there's, there's, there's question going on, the theology question, who is the church for and, and what's taking place. And so uh, they're, they're going to Jerusalem to have this conver conversation about this division in the local church. Do men have surgery before becoming a Christian or after they say, they say they're Christian? Who, who is the church for? 
Do people actually have to become Jewish, become just like us before they become a Christian? You know, who is the church for? What makes an outsider an insider? Uh, uh, Who is going to feel welcome? How are we going to treat them? And verse 4 says that when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church because there was a church in Jerusalem. And the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. And so Paul and, Paul and Barnabas, they, they say, I know there's a division and there is a question about who is the church supposed to be for, but let me tell you what we have experienced. And then you could not argue with the fact that revival has taken place. Verse 5 says there were some believers, the Christians, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Christians who were Pharisees. If you're familiar with the Bible, the Pharisees were the super religious people. They were like the perennial enemies of the Christians in the local church. And, and, and this was a group that was behind the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and, but they have become Christians. It's amazing. And now this is what happens. The Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This is what you have to do to become Christians. Because the church is for believers and the church is for the educated and the church is for the people who know what to do and know what not to do and who are committed and all that stuff. And verse number 7 says, after much discussion, a long meeting, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you. That the Gentiles might hear, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, he says, God who knows the hearts showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And now this was a shock to the Jews because the Jewish people believed that the Holy Spirit was reserved for Jewish people. And Peter said, remember We've we've seen evidence of that fact that God has given the Holy Spirit to the people who weren't Jews. This is very difficult for them. Very difficult for them. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. And then verse number 10. Now then. I love this verse. You are sitting here and you're thinking, you know, one of these things that I don't like about church people is they're hypocrites. Listen to this verse. This is awesome because this means that there's been hypocrites since the first century. You're not going to find a church without hypocrites. It's nothing new. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke? That neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. He said, look. He's talking to the insider people. The church people. That age. He says, look. You are taking a burden. Which is the law of Moses. There's some 614 laws. Depending on how you count them. Not just the Ten Commandments. It's like 600 more. He said, you want to take all 600 plus laws. Commandments. And you want to place them on the next of these brand new Christians. He says, and you want them to keep the law of Moses. Then he says this, you haven't even done well with this yourself, have you? I mean, you should know better. You've known it since you were little. And if you can't even pull it off, and you've been good Jewish boys and and grew into good Jewish men, if you understand the Jewish culture and the law of Moses, if, if we couldn't do it, why in the world do we want to put this on the backs of these new people that are coming to faith? It's quite a strange meeting at that point. And then verse 11, he says, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. This is what I've discovered the last two and a half years. That church people don't mind putting something on somebody else that they are able to keep. But when it comes to something that they're not doing themselves, well, it's excusable. I have been blown away 
by people who have received much grace and love and mercy from Almighty God and from others. And yet because they saw somebody else do something or are doing something, I just don't know if I can even attend church here, Pastor Green. Are you hearing me right now? So James stands up and begins to speak. When James stands up, he's a special person in the church because James was the brother, half-brother of Jesus Christ. This is amazing. If you're skeptical about Christianity, just check this out. Let me ask this. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? And my sister's here today. I have no idea what it would take for her to be convinced that I was the son of God. I don't think I could perform, perform enough miracles. I mean, just, that's a good trick, but you're not the son of God. I mean, just, yeah. But here's what we know. James, brother of Jesus, who didn't become a follower of Jesus until late in the game, and rightfully so. James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And he stands to speak. Everybody listens. Verse number 19, it should be the marching order for every church leader. And then anybody who's serious about creating a church that is pleasing to God. James says, it is my judgment. He said, I've made this decision. James did. It is my judgment. I've listened to the, to the debate. Here's where I land. It's my judgment. That we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now you hear me. And I'm preaching you, I'm talking to you today about a church for who? The mission of the local church in the first century. And the mission of the local church in the 21st century should be this. That we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. In other words, we need to get rid of anything and I said this two and a half years ago. This is not something new. We need to get rid of anything in the local church that's a stumbling block for people who are turning to God. Bottom line. What James is saying is this. It's okay if people choose to reject the cross of Jesus Christ. But let's don't put a whole lot of other things in the way that causes them to get confused before they get to the issue. And the issue is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so James says, let's make it our mission. Let's make the mission of the local church to not make it difficult. The other way of saying this is this. Let's do everything that we can to make it easy for those who are turning to God, literally you and I should be making it easy for men and women to come to Jesus Christ. The church, the local church, this church, my church, your church, it should be characterized by an environment, a culture, an atmosphere, a spirit that says that we are going to, going to do everything that we can to make it easy for people to continue to move forward in the relationship with Jesus Christ. We are going to do everything that we can to make it possible for people to get to Jesus Christ, to pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. So he says in verse 20, instead, we should write to them. And because of this verse for the last four weeks, I have prayed it over and over my head to write every member of this congregation an epistle my own self, a letter my own self, and to send it to you. Number one, I wouldn't be misquoted. Number two, you can read it over and over again like you read your Bible. You would see. He said, let's write to them. Let's write to those Gentiles in all those different cities waiting for the news. Should I have a, do I got to have a surgery in order to be saved? That's the news they're waiting for. He said, let's write to them and tell them. And watch this. He takes 600 and something laws. He takes the Ten Commandments. He takes the whole teaching of Moses. And he condenses it down. 
to a few things. What are you doing? You want to be a Book of Acts church? You want to be a Book of Acts church? It's the Book of Acts. He said we should write to them. There it is on verse 20. Tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols. Yet Jesus said in Mark 7, there's, you can eat anything you want to eat. And Paul would all, would write to another church, you can eat anything that you want to eat. But James says, Let, let's, let's, say, let's, let's do this food thing. Abstain from food polluted by idols. And the reason why is because it was offensive to their brother Jews. It was literally offensive. Let's abstain from sexual immorality. From, from meat, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Verse 21, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This is so interesting. He said, this is just a few things we need to ask our Gentile believers to do. Just a few things. Let's, let's, let's ask them not to offend the strict dietary Jewish-oriented people. Moses has been taught in all those cities. There are, there are many people that are offended by that kind of thing. So let's be sensitive. The whole argument turns. Let's be sensitive to the insiders and to the things that they're sensitive to. But let's not strap 600 of the laws to keep people from coming to faith. So they agreed that this would be the case. They wrote it out. They sent a delegation out to the churches. They sent a letter. Number 30. I'll bring this to a close shortly. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together. They delivered the letter. Here's the letter. We just came from this meeting. James stood up. He spoke. Here's the conclusion. You ready? Verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Yesterday, I had a friend of mine who pastors and an influence in my life. He made this statement to my sister and I. He said, I just sure hope that I can be saved. And I looked at this man with much love and I said, why do you hope you can be saved? Just go read the book of Romans. Read the book of Galatians. And he said, Jonathan, here's the thing. When I was a teenager growing up, and in my younger years, it was preached so hard that we're not sure that we could even be saved. He said, so every day, what he said, I, every day, I wonder, God, am I saved? God, can I be saved? God, will I be saved? I was asked a question this week by Gail abusing in my office. She said, Pastor, I got a question for you. Why do people... Question and wonder whether or not they will be saved. Here's the reason why. If you question if you'll be saved, here's the reason why you question it. It's because you believe by your actions that your salvation is based by your works. And you live in fear, not wondering if you're doing the right things, the right works. And your salvation is based by works. And your salvation is not based by grace through faith. Faith allows me to have confident faith. That's what faith does. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. You used to sing about it in the Brown songbook. I'm no, I'm saved, and I'm so glad about it. But when you're constantly questioned, am I saved? Will I be saved? You're living by works. And you're not walking by faith. And you are saved by grace through faith. It should be an encouraging message. An encouraging message. An encouraging message. I close. Another generation later, the church made it difficult again. The year was 1,091. 
the Pope, the leader of the Western Christianity, the Pope, he issued an edict that we are going to war against unbelievers. And he sent thousands of men into Jerusalem to reclaim real estate, to take the lives of tens of thousands of people. The 1400s, the Spanish Inquisition, the church, us, the church, the followers of Christ, the church, they arrested and tortured people for all kinds of ridiculous things in an effort to grab land. Nothing, nothing, nothing reflected the message of Jesus Christ in the New Testament in that. There was no love thy neighbor as thyself. The Reformation came along and suddenly there was this new wave of enthusiasm around and, and people were able to, to embrace faith personally and, and it was simple again. And then the birth of denominations. It came out of the Reformation. The birth of denominations. And we made it difficult all over again. We made it difficult all over again. And I'll pause and I'll say this. And for me, and some of you may disagree with me theologically and that's fine. Bring it to me. Bring me scripture. But for me, in my mind, it may not have been taught this way, but this is how I perceived it when they taught it. That as a pastor, I was going to stand beside you before God. And I was going to give an account for everything that you did. And I would say, yep, this one makes it. This one makes it. This one, God, this one doesn't make it. This one, in my mind, that's how I saw it. For whatever reason, If I was to give an account that way, then I would have to make sure that with my eyes, I saw your fruit. So in order for me to be able to give that account, I've got to make sure you don't do, you don't do, you don't do, you don't do those certain things that I just hope you do the right thing. Does that make sense? And when I got a revelation that I'm not going to give an account that way, I'm just going to give an account for what I tell you right now. And I'm going to give an account for my own actions. I'm going to give an account for what I tell you. And I'm even going to give an account for what I don't tell you. Right? So if I take a scripture... And I say, I heard this taught this way. But as I begin to open this word of God up, with the tools that we have right now in an information age, and I can say, if this meant this, then this and this have to mean the same thing. And if that doesn't mean the same thing, then this doesn't mean the same thing. My prime example is 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair, wearing of gold, of putting on of apparel. And I heard plaiting the hair was simply weaving stuff into your hair. Actually, plaiting the hair is elaborate hairstyles, which I really think we probably fail miserably in that. I know I don't, but some of you women might. It means to interweave not the hair, to put the hair up. All part of plaiting the hair. To wear gold. I was told you don't, you can't, I've heard it preach you don't wear gold. No gold shoes, no gold buttons, no gold, and just no gold. But if I do that, can I have 1 Peter 3, verse 3? I know it's my notes, but Penny, can you put 1 Peter 3, verse 3 up? But if I do that, then where it says, and putting on of apparel, then I have to preach don't wear clothes. Are you hearing me? It doesn't mean don't wear clothes. That breaks a moral principle. Are you hearing me? But your beauty should not come from. Don't get your beauty from this. 
Your beauty, NIV says, a fine clothes. Your beauty should come from verse 4. Watch this. Your beauty should come from the inward heart. Now that's from the NIV. Some don't like the NIV. Right there. It should come from your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. That's where it should come from. If for some reason the local church will always gravitate toward making this for insiders, if we're not careful, we make it difficult for people who are turning to God. I've got to flip through this quickly. So a church for who? I believe the church is for everybody. It's for the person who questions, who has questions about scriptures. I mean, it's okay to have questions about scriptures. It's okay to have questions about scriptures. It's for people who have had bad experiences at a local church. It's for people who don't know how to act. It's for people who don't have the best morals. It's for people who don't even know how to dress right. When I say right, I mean morally right. And I could keep going. The church is for everybody. Because the gospel is for everybody. Ready? I'll end this. How many of you grew up in a church? Would you raise your hands? You grew up in a church. Well, I'll do a little inventory here. All right. You learn stories in the local church. I mean, we teach Bible stories in our local church. Absolutely love it. The last couple of nights I've been doing kids ministry, and I've, I've loved it. How many of you know what a flannel graft is? Would you raise your hand? Look at all the flannel graft people in here. A couple of you know what the flannel graft is. All right. Um, how many of you know what a bulletin is? We don't have them. How many of you know what a bulletin is? You know what a bulletin is? No. About a Sunday school lesson. You've heard a Sunday school lesson. You know a Sunday school lesson. See, you're like me. You're a church person. How many of you have ever done charades where you were just kind of mimicking people in the church, how they worship God? Anybody ever played that game? You know, like, oh, it's okay to raise your hand. It's okay. I promise we mimicked you, you know. Well, in our home church we did. We're church people. And church people aren't bad people. They're good people. But we just can't become so insider focused that we forget the great commission of Jesus Christ and our calling and our purpose. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you've called me to this city. But I remember when I preached a message, I was pastor of this church. But I preached a message in the church down the road called the Apostolic Church. Brother Marvin Cole walked up to me while I was preaching in that message, Father. And he said, God didn't bring you just to that church. He brought you to this city, son. Thank you for my field of labor. I thank you. I thank you for this city. And God, I thank you for the people that are in this house and listening online right now. I thank you for them. I thank you. Mm. But God, those are over 120,000 people approximately just inside this city. God, there's over a million people approximately just in the surrounding areas. God, we're your people. 
you've called us to be a light to this world to make a difference. So, Father, use us. Use us. As you have prophesied it, you have declared it to us. You've given us word after word. I shared those words that you've given to me with this congregation today so it would encourage their faith just as it has encouraged mine and that they would stand shoulder to shoulder they would put their arms in together they would labor together in the field for it's a dark time right now and there's ever a time for us to be a light it's right now Father it's right now so I pray, baptize us, infuse us, empower us. With a fresh revelation of who we are in you and who you are in us. God, I pray, let us realize that we're not here just for this moment in this house, but we're here for every moment of every week, of every day, God. We're here for hurting people in our world. That's why we're here. Any prejudiceness, let us lay it aside and forgive us. Any partiality, but forgive us. Our self-righteousness is as filthy rags to you. Forgive us. Oh, God, let us lift up clean hands and pure hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. I know we have to social distance today. I would so love to have a time where we gathered around the front together. Would you just stand with me? Just, I know you're with your families. Would you just take a hold of the person beside you if you feel comfortable too? Cassandra's going to sing this song. And would you just reflect, pray over your family and just reflect your actions, your life. And what you've heard today from the word of God. Ask God to reveal if there's anything in you and that you need to work on spiritually. Oh, you ask this question, he's going to show it to you. He's going to show it to you. Huh. Would you just pray over your family right now? Huh. You have always called my name. You have waited patiently. Beautiful. It's your love that's never changed. You know me. You know me. I stand before Almighty God. I yield my need to cast the blame. Stones. I'm not throwing stones. I've given up I'm my not throwing heart stones. I refuse God to cast the first I stone. I stand before Almighty God alone. I refuse to cast the first stone, God. I'm not without sin. All the rights I've called my own. Everything that I believe. Oh, God. Oh, my future and my hope is with thee. Oh, God. Is with thee. I stand before Almighty God. Beautiful. I am. 
fulfillment of prophecies that were spoken before I was ever pastor here. Prophetic fulfillment. We are walking into divine destiny. And God is going to do amazing things with us and in us and through us in this world. It's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass in Jesus' name. Roll up your shoulders. Get ready. Roll up your sleeves and get ready. Put your shoulders to the plow. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. If you believe it, shout, yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. On behalf of everyone here at The Anchor, we want to thank you for listening. Please share this podcast with your friends and join us at 1040 a.m. Sundays and 655 p.m. on Tuesday nights in service here at The Anchor or via Facebook Livestream and Livestream.com. We look forward to seeing you on the stream. We are also working on a YouTube live stream, so look forward to that in the future. Also, thank you so very much for your continued financial support by giving online. We couldn't maintain our services without you. One last thing. If you need prayer, please reach out to us. We are more than happy to pray with you. And until then, see you next time.